Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Okay, hi everyone. Well, we're, I'm proud to have another fireside chat and I'm very pleased to have Rebecca Horton joining us for this one. Um, for those that don't know Rebecca, she is the MD and business lead at USU. Uh, responsible for developing and executing the company's business strategies, providing strategic advice to the board, and preparing and implementing business plans for the Global Services Matrix organization and the Customer Solution Management Business Line. Uh, she is a regular speaker at our conferences, a bit of a, um, a regular around the ITAM review, so you should recognize her name. If you don't, have a quick look on the website and you'll and you'll see her. So, um, yeah, how are you, Rebecca? Welcome. Good. Good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this. No worries. No worries. So these are kind of our more informal conversations, more about kind of the life and times, as I like to call it, about um, prominent people in the industry. So with these, I always like to kind of kick it off with just a general bit about you, really. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell me, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, kind of? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I I have been in the industry, uh, I'm going to say 16 years or so, give or take. Um, I've kind of stopped counting. After I hit 15, I sort of stopped counting yeah, after that. Because then I start to age myself. <laughs> when you start counting in decades, isn't it? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> we'll just stop at 15. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm originally from Canada. Um, I have been very lucky enough to kind of live all over the world. Uh, well, not all over. I've, I've lived in three countries, but I've lived in something like 20 different cities. Uh, so I have moved around a lot in my life. And uh, thanks also to my career, I have uh, visited something like 15 other countries on, on top of the ones that I've, I've lived in. So um, I'm an avid traveler. Uh, I do travel a lot for work, but thankfully I still love it. <laughs> I haven't, haven't quite got too exhausted yet. Um, I currently live in the UK uh, and uh, love living in the UK, love being in Europe in general, because I, I, again, I just, I love to travel and being in the UK just gives me that opportunity to kind of wake up on a Thursday morning, see what's cheap on Google flights and uh, possibly take a little spontaneous trip. So mm. yeah, that's, that's me kind of in a nutshell. We are spoiled. Aren't we? Aren't yeah. We? yeah. Next two, three hours, you can be anywhere. Yes. Yes. Just such cultural diversity in such a small exactly. space. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So I always like to ask this because everyone's got a different story of how they ended up in iTown. So how how did you end up in this this particular realm of, of IT? Yeah, you know, I have to say, I think mine is probably one of the strangest stories I've ever heard. Um, I know we've all, nobody wakes up and goes, I want to be an IT asset manager. No. <laughs> but um, mine was really interesting. So I think, uh, you know, I've had many careers in my life. Uh, I started working when I was about 15 years old, uh, had my first job. I, I started in the service industry. I was managing restaurants and nightclubs by the time I was about 18 or 20. Um, 
I was a hairdresser. I was a legal secretary. I had my own flower store. I was an insurance agent, an insurance adjuster. So I, I, I've done a lot of things, but one of the things they all had in common was that they were all very focused on working with people, right? So mm. I, in, in many ways, I was working with people, helping people. Um, and basically how I ended up in, in IT, first of all, was I was living in the United States and my job there was uh, something called an insurance claims advocate. So mm-hmm. in the United States, they don't have public health insurance like we do in Canada and in, in the UK and, and uh, other parts of the world. Um, and so my job was to help people get their insurance claim paid mm-hmm. by an insurance health, uh, health insurance company. Um, then I moved back, which I just want to say was one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. Yeah, you know, it, it, it really, really was. It was incredibly rewarding helping people in such a significant way because health insurance claims in the U.S. can be literally devastating financially to a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then I made the decision to move back to Canada where that job doesn't exist. So um, I, I had to kind of find something new to do. And I started just applying for jobs in, in different areas. And I got a call one day from a company called Acridex. They're a, um, a reseller of software hardware uh-huh. in, uh, in Canada. And they said, hey, you applied for this job. We'd love you to come in. And to this day, I don't actually remember applying for that job. <laughs> It's one of those. It was one of those, and I said, uh, "Yeah, great, but but what was the job um, that I, you know, that I applied for?" And they said, "Oh, it was inside sales for for software sales." Oh, okay, sure, that sounds fun. Um, went in. They basically hired me on the spot, and that that was it. That I was suddenly in IT, and and I knew nothing about IT. And and when I say nothing, I mean, literally nothing. I didn't know what a server was. I knew what an app was, you know, this was, Mm. when was this, this was, this must've been sort of 2007 or so. Mm. And, um, and, and, you know, but so there wasn't like the same apps on phones and things. And I remember in my first week, I got a call from one of our customers. And part of my job was to help people figure out how to license um, what I was selling them. And so one of my customers phoned me and he said, Hey, um, can you tell me how do I license SQL server in a VMware estate with a hard partition? And I went, (laughs) I I, I said, I said, Oh, uh, do you know, I think I just read an article on that. Let me, let me find it and I'll get back to you. And literally went on Google, (laughs) looked up, (laughs) What is SQL? And I think I spelled it S E E Q U. Yeah, yeah, you would yeah. if you've ever, if you've ever <laughs> seen it written, would you? Yeah. What is VMware? What is hard partition? And that was kind of it. You know, I I love doing research. So you know, this this career really kind of evolved out of my love of helping people, my mm. love of doing research, and my ability because of my past in insurance and in law my ability to read and disseminate a contract. And right. that's kind of where it all started. It was crazy. It's, it's often this serendipitous kind of convergence of all these disparate skills that you would not it put really together is. until suddenly, yeah. you know, the legal aspect, yeah. absolutely imperative to yes. helping you through that. Yeah. Just wanting to help people and 
Yeah. Enjoying research. You clearly must yep. enjoy researching and finding the solution for someone. So exactly. Yeah. So did did your employer help you with with that? Did they see yeah. you moving in that direction? And yeah, I mean, I, I they were so supportive. You know, I, I can't give a big enough shout out to Sean McIntosh and Wes Hargraves, who are are two well known uh, people in the industry and in, in sort of IT and technology um, in general. And uh, they were incredibly supportive. Within six months, they promoted me to the role of um, outbound account manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then from there, it really just kind of took off and and. Um, you know, I think, again, my love of doing research and helping people really led me down a path of sales that was incredibly consultative, right? Mm. So um, that was my approach to sales. And then eventually later on in my career, I, I, I sort of moved away from the sales side of things and focused uh, much more on software asset management um, as a practice, and then really got into the consulting side of, of the business and, and being a SAM and eventually ITAM consultant. Yeah. Mm, amazing. So, uh, and what are, so now in your current role, obviously you, so you've gone from, so fill me in the gaps between kind of, what was that, 2009, <laughs> was that you said? Seven, was, something like that. Seven, yeah. Yeah. To kind of, yeah. To kind of now, what, what was the journey along, along yeah. that? Oh boy, you know, it's been a crazy one and I have had the opportunity to work with so many amazing people. So I, uh, like I said, I started out at Acridex. I went over to another reseller called Soft Choice. Um, I did a short stint at Hewlett Packard mm-hmm. um, because I was very successful in also selling hardware. And so I was approached by HP to uh, to join them to do a role as um, basically an endpoint sales. Um, and I did that for only six months because, and it was so funny because I had a very frank conversation with my manager at the time. And I said, look, this is just not the job for me. And here's how I know why, because I'm selling endpoints. I'm selling laptops and desktops and thin clients and monitors. But every single time I, I'm in a sales cycle, I end up talking about the operating system. <laughs> <laughs> I end up talking about how to license the operating system and, and how to make the most out of, you know, especially this was a time when thin clients were really kind of starting to take off. And there was a lot of questions about, well, how do I, how do I license thin clients for all the different various use cases? And so my, my manager was so kind and he said, you know what, fair enough. Um, you know, we, we, we understand. And uh, so I, I left Hewlett Packard after, after a short time. Um, and then I went to another reseller called Longview and they do um, software sales and services right. and worked with Sarah Malcolm, who another great mentor, incredibly intelligent, just absolutely an amazing businesswoman. And, um, and there I really kind of started focusing a lot more on very much the licensing and less of the sales, right? So that was really kind of my first step into, I would say, true SAM, software mm-hmm. asset management, and understanding not only license compliance and license management, but true software asset management. So the whole optimization side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I was there for, I think it was about a year and a half or two years. And 
I got the opportunity to work with Sherry Irwin, who is incredibly well known in North America, part of the ISO group, you know, just an absolutely amazingly intelligent woman in, in the ITAM space. And she was working on a contract for one of the big oil and gas companies. And I had been contacted by a recruiter and I wasn't looking for a new role, but this one came along and I thought, boy, you know, if I really want to become you know, kind of an expert in this area, I need to sort of um, take this opportunity to learn from Sherry and, and, and work on this project. And so I came in working under Sherry, supporting her in any way that I possibly could. And I learned, I mean, I like 10 years worth of knowledge, uh-huh. you know, I learned uh-huh. in like a year and a half, two years, she is just the, the most amazing, um, you know, mentor. Uh, and, and I learned so much. And then after that uh, contract and, and that project ended, that was when I really started my um, independent consulting career. Um, and I did that for a number of years, um, and which was great and um, really had a wonderful time, worked with some amazing customers all over the world. And then um, this, then it, it was about, gosh, when was this? Um, 2013, I guess it was, I got uh, a call from ITAM Solutions in the UK. Uh-huh. And they were looking for people. And that it was when I first moved over to the UK. And, and I worked with ITAM Solutions for my first time working for a, a, a full blown IT asset management focused yeah. organization. Yeah. Um, and and again, a wonderful, wonderful organization. Worked with uh, Paul Sheehan for uh, I think it was about two and a half years. I was there, um, and then I I started learning about open source okay. through this. And I, I was uh, because when when we when we do IT asset management and in particular software asset management, we always kind of said, but not open source. You know, mm. we're, we're going to do vendor licensing, but not open source. And I, I, I kept talking to my customers about open source. And the answer I gave was, well, it's not really it's not really in scope for Sam because Sam focuses on licensed vendors. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the audit risk, the the, um, you know, the financial risk, all of those mm. kinds of things. Nice but time. I start I started doing research into open source and how it was a incredibly prevalent across every organization um, and why it wouldn't be something that software asset management would focus on. And I soon learned that it has its own risks and it actually should be a part of a software asset management practice. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the same way. You don't apply necessarily the same methodology because the risk is different. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you're talking about rather than necessarily direct financial risk, it's kind of other types of financial risk. Open source is the foundation for some of the the the, the world's <laughs> uh, most um, vital systems. Banking systems, I can't remember the exact statistics, but it's something like 90% of banking systems run on, on open source. Wow, wow. Nearly 100% of all airline systems run on open source. So if you can imagine, yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you can imagine that, you know, those types of systems go down um, and we've seen it happen, 
um, it's incredibly impactful, not only to the organization, but also to the people who rely on those systems. And so I started to learn about how you could apply software asset management uh, practices to open source to gain better control, reduce financial risk, um, understand uh, things like open source health, code health, uh, which is really the concept of how well do you know your code and is mm -hmm. it safe and secure? Uh, because something like 60% of, of uh, cyber attacks are actually focused on open source software. So that is that is an, a huge area of risk from a security perspective. So um, after a while, I had the opportunity to go and work for Red Hat, um, which I did. Uh, I was the lead for their EMEA practice for their um, software, sorry, um, subscription education and awareness program. And uh, and then I I was with them for again probably about two two and a half years and then uh, moved back to Canada and went back to independent um, uh, practice and and consulting um, and then finally we get to sort of where we are today which is with USU uh, I was approached by USU to do some consulting for them uh -huh. and uh, eventually they kind of said well hey would you like to join the company. And, uh, and and at first I was I was hesitant. I was very hesitant because I always said I'll never work for like a Microsoft or an Oracle, and I'll never work for a Sam vendor. Right? Those mm -hmm. were kind of my two rules. Right? Like I would never work for one of the Sam technology companies because I'd always always been very like um, um, neutral. Right? I always your, your kind of yeah, consulting background, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I always believed that there was the right technology for the right customer for the right reason, right? And and I didn't necessarily have um, a favorite per se. I always believed that the customer's need would then drive the technology that that they would that they would focus on. But I did always love Aspera, now USU technology. Um, it, it was always, I guess you could say it was sort of my favorite because mm -hmm. they're very like data geeky and I'm very data geeky, mm -hmm. right? So well, that's that, good, isn't it? You know, yeah. if you had, a, you had your preference and they were the ones that approached you. So yeah, so it worked out well. Easier. Yeah, yeah, it worked out well. Um, and so I was brought on as the vice president of, of North America and then that evolved now into my global managing director role. So now I'm one of... Uh, a group of, I think it's, I think there's about 15 or so of us managing directors globally, each mm -hmm. with our own kind of different area of, of the five sort of technology areas that, that we have. And I am part of the, the group that is kind of the overreaching group for product consulting, or, or I guess you could say professional services. Yeah. So we do global professional services across all of our, our product lines. Um, and I'm uh, part of part of that group, and and that's Amazing. where we are it, today. As a proper kind of, <laughs> as an element of kind of, you know, working for Red Hat for a bit there, like you probably, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, let's let's learn more about open source. So you go right into exactly. it. Yeah, like it's yeah. this sponge element. I need to know about that, so I'll I'll jump into it. So um, interesting. We'll talk about FinOps in a bit. I think. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's that's another area where you, you're probably I can imagine you you're yes I've dove right in <laughs> yeah 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 so I mean think about your role now so what does I mean obviously being an MD now what what does what does a day look like yeah like I imagine it's quite varied it is yeah I um 
So I still try and stay as close as I can to the customers, right? Um, so I actually do still do a little bit of consulting directly mm-hmm. uh, with with customers. You know, I'm doing a couple of um, engagements right now with, with some of our customers where I'm helping them. Um, my area of expertise and probably greatest passion has always been on the how do you build and or design and implement a, a SAM or ITAM practice, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, one thing I learned probably, gosh, a good eight, almost 10 years ago was that there's this view and belief in the industry, perhaps a little bit less now, but certainly back then that once you implement a tool, you're doing SAM. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is, is, is having the data and the technology are just two aspects to truly doing SAM, you've got to have the policies, the processes and the people. Um, And this is something that I learned from Sherry Irwin was to have a practice. Um, And and this applies to any practice, whether it's an HR practice, a legal practice, a a, even just a regular IT practice within a company. These are all functions and practices and you have to have policy process, people, data technology. And, so I ended up focusing a lot on the policy process people side and designing those aspects of the practice to, to support the data and the technology side. So um, making sure that there was governance and a racy and people knew like what the scope and magnitude of the work was going to be so that they could actually understand how do I leverage my data and my technology to actually fulfill and support a practice or or a, a program as opposed to just having a technology that can run some reports mm-hmm. for me. Um, so I do try and stay close to the customers as much as I can, but the bigger part of my role is, is really around as a leader. Um, I like to do mentoring within the organization. I do a lot of budgeting and planning, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, building out the the strategy for USU. Um, I've worked very heavily on the last year in our cloud cost management solution and bringing that to market, which then leads us into how I kind of dove right into FinOps. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't can't dive in much more other than, you know, kind of building and designing a uh, a practice around FinOps for for, for a technology company. Well, let's let's delve into that, shall we? Kind of, kind of, the, the, the kind of where items going kind of question like um when you're speaking to your customers you know it's obviously you're probably implementing or helping them establish their item or sam practice um and how do like what are the challenges in that process that you find like presumably you yeah. you, you have come across companies that are a bit more mature than others yeah. when you engage with them and are some right at the beginning and some are just further along and want a bit of help to yeah 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 so one of the things that i do with uh with many customers is first of all understand a what your goals and priorities and b where are you in that journey towards meeting your goals and priorities and so um maturity to me is actually an iterative cycle right so you you Mm -hmm. set yourself a set of goals and objectives and then once you reach all or most of them, kind of go back and you look, okay, what did we do well? What did we not? And then what's our next set of goals and objectives? And maybe some of them carry forward, but maybe you then take that next step of, of maturity. And so um, quite often the, the goals and objectives that we see in ITAM um, right now are around 
you know, cost management, risk and compliance management, and then operational efficiency and effectiveness. And that's kind of the the steps that an organization takes on that maturity journey is they start just by wanting to understand, like, what am I buying and how much am I spending? And then they try and understand, and how do I optimize and make sure that I stay compliant? And then the next one, that that sort of operational efficiency and effectiveness, really you start getting into that concept of how do I use the data and the processes and the practices that exist within ITAM to support other parts of the business? For example, security. How can I use the data and the information to support and help security with regards to, you know, things like IT visibility and understanding the use and the ownership of various assets? How do I support my organization's goals of, um, you know, bringing solutions to market faster through the effective and efficient use of our technology by making sure that assets are available on demand as quickly as possible. So you're not going through this long deployment mm. cycle or procurement cycle, and you're actually able to support um, the, the you know, the rollout of, of, of new solutions. So FinOps has arisen in the cloud out of uh, this need then to really understand uh, not only kind of what's happening in your environment and, you know, sort of traditional uh, sort of infrastructure and, and, you know, data center practices, but also to really understand now that there is such a high level of visibility on a kind of a direct cost between what am I using in the cloud and how is what I'm using and what it's costing me having a direct impact on my unit cost and what whatever it is I'm selling to my customers. Um, those costs are much more visible now. And and um, with the cloud and, and the <laughs> The massive growth in the cloud uh, and, and what's going on is is incredibly important to to organizations. And so, as FinOps grew, kind of typically uh, out of the cloud team, um, it's really, I guess, great to see now that there's this sort of convergence between FinOps and ITAM. Yeah, and and that relationship i think is becoming closer and closer and closer which which is incredibly important uh because again it's it's a very um i would say uh what's the word like um it, it's a very sort of balanced and, and cohabitating relationship i guess mm -hmm. you know there, the, there was a moment wasn't there? It yeah. felt, from an outside perspective there was a moment where the two were going independently and could have yes. become become rivals totally yes. unnecessarily yes yeah um, and the convergence of the two seems to be happening at quite a pace now. Exactly. Uh, the FinOps yeah. Foundation is seems very supportive of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which they is which well. is amazing. Yeah, which is really. I, I was literally just in Las Vegas at the uh, at the event um, where we had you know the FinOps Foundation. Rob was yes. there, and we had Ron Brill from AnglePoint, and of course Rich. Uh, so it was uh, the inaugural sort of ITAM and FinOps uh, event, which which was really really fun. Um, but yeah, those two practices coming together. Um, and, or at the very least working with each other, I would say, is is vital to the success of both because each one has um, its own goals and objectives, but those goals and objectives very much align with each yeah. other and they can support each other with those goals and objectives based on 
um, you know, the data, the technology, the practices, the processes, the racy, all of those things. So mm-hmm. the the truly that their program at a programmatic level, they fit very, very well together. Mm. And something that occurred to me recently is that the whole the history of ITAM, the maturity as ITAM's matured, it's it's matured in the way that it's been able to engage with other stakeholders within the organization mm-hmm. so well, you know, with security and it, yeah. and it's had to build itself a reputation that it has value to add to all those different sectors. And yeah. that's probably helped it. In, in kind of working with FinOps. Yeah. It's been able, it's used to making a case for itself. Yeah. And so yeah. it that must have helped in the, the kind of convergence with FinOps happening quite quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 one of the questions I get the most uh, you know, when I'm doing speaking or or just working with customers is, you know, what can I do to sort of expand or improve my maturity or my visibility within my organization? And my, my I always have the same answer. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm. Um, you know, get out there, meet people across the, the business, um, talk to them about what their goals and objectives are um, and, and understand how you can help them meet their goals and objectives. It, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, if you want to ask a child to do something, you've got to kind of make it, <laughs> you've got to incentivize them, yeah, you know, yeah. hey, can can you please help mommy set the table so that we can have dinner, you know, as opposed to just saying, go set the table, you're mm. much more likely to, to, to be able to get the, the output that you're looking for if you give them a good reason on how it benefits them, right? And it's the exact same in business. If you go to the security team and say, hey, I need your data and I need you to follow these processes so that I can do ITAM, they're going to go, whoa, wait a minute. That sounds yeah, like work. Yeah. That sounds like extra work to me. I don't want to do that. I'm busy enough. Uh, sorry, can't help you. Whereas if you go to them and say, hey, I understand that you've got objectives this year about um, getting a, a better visibility into our entire IT estate and the data that li- lives within those systems so that we can better protect that data for the purpose of ISO or GDPR or PCI or whatever it might be. Um, if we work together, I can help you with that. They're going to go, oh, that sounds like work that I don't have to do. That's going to take work <laughs> off my plate as yeah. opposed to put it on, right? And even though you're both getting what you need out of it, you're getting their support, probably their data, hopefully following more of your processes um, and, and and a better, you know, governance uh, sort of type of, type of uh, result. But they're get you've articulated instantly what they're getting out of it, and so I find that if as when you engage with new stakeholders like FinOps, like the FinOps or cloud teams, you've got to lead with what can you provide to them, not what they can provide to you. And so if you can ask them just those two questions: What are your goals and objectives, and how can I help you meet them? You will immediately, and and I would say nine times out of ten, get a great response, and you'll be able to to bring that value that you're looking for. Mm. Brilliant. Um, I mean, you clearly you clearly love ITAM. You clearly yeah. do. <laughs> what is? I mean, there's been a few things you've said about things that, that drew you to it. If you yeah. if you were pressed to say one thing, the the main thing that keeps you in ITAM that you love about it. Oh. Is it the people's side? Is it the the problem solving? What is what is it that keeps you motivated? Do you know, 
Oh, that is a really hard question because there isn't one. There really uh, isn't one thing. That's that's the problem. Like, I just love all of it. I, I'm not technical. So first of all, I love the fact that I get to learn about technology without actually having to be smart enough to be technical. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. You know, I, I, mm. I get to see what's happening in the world of technology without actually really having to fully understand it. I love doing research. I love helping people. I love the community. You know, I love our community. Like we are a very big, but yet also a very small community. And so I go to events and I see people that I haven't seen for years. Or sometimes I see people I just saw last week, you know, and it's like, hey, you're here, you know. Um, gosh, I, 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 yeah, I, I honestly, I could not pick just one. I love all of it. It's, yeah, it, it, I mean, it seems to just, yeah. It, it seems to be a convergence of all the things that you, you enjoy. In yeah, one so it really is. It really that's is. That's fair enough. Yeah. Right, yeah. Then this next one will be hard to answer. Then what? What is it you don't like? I you I have the word hate in my, <laughs> in my notes. What do you love and what do you hate? But uh, is there anything that you you think the industry could do better? Um, um, what don't I like? Um, I think you know from an industry perspective, I think we're we're doing all the right things, right? I think we we as an industry continue to grow and mature. So I think, you know, there's nothing from the industry in general that, that uh, you know, I look at and I go, oh, gosh, that's just not right. I would say probably the one thing that frustrates me is when you go to a stakeholder, like, you know, within a, within a customer estate, yeah. and you, you talk to them about, you know, the all the goals and objectives and and you you know you do the pitch and and you say this is how we can work together this is how we can help the company you know um reach its goals and objectives um and you really articulate that value and people some people just you know they've got those blinders on where they say like this is how i've always done it so this is how we're going to keep doing it and sometimes that's even sam and itan people like I've come across Sam people who go, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with FinOps or I don't want to do anything to do with hardware even. You know, I'm 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 a Sam person and I'm gonna stay a Sam person. Um, I think it's those people that that probably just frustrate me because again, I am so passionate about what we do and where the industry is going and, and all of the the great things that 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 we can accomplish. And so when I come across people who who don't want to kind of get on just board with stay that. In their lane, don't yeah, they, they yeah. just want to stay in their lane. It's it is frustrating for me because um quite often those are the people that complain the most. <laughs> 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 but they don't want to change. Either. No, no. There's a, there's a certain irony there, isn't it? <laughs> there is. Yeah, yeah. So I would say people that just kind of don't want to um learn and grow and do more and do better and 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 that's okay you know everybody everybody has the right to to live the life that they choose to live and so for those people i just say okay not a problem um you know i've i've there there's lots of other people that you know do want to kind of come along on the journey and and so mm. um, i never take it personally and sometimes those people come back around and they go actually you know what you were right <laughs> Yeah. which is great you know and and uh and then i'll bring them on board and and, and we'll work together but uh yeah I, I there's really not much that i don't love about what we do fantastic um, fantastic well, I, I always like to end these conversations with kind of 
advice for other people in that are going through their career you know be yeah. earlier in their itam career and um obviously you you mentioned a number of mentors you know you mentioned sherry there you know a number of people that have helped you is are there any lessons that you learned through your career that you want to pass on to help you know someone else that's yeah. just starting out and they want to kind of get to where you are what yeah would, yeah, yeah any advice for them um yeah so I, I have a couple pieces pieces of advice the first one is invest in yourself um so when I was first starting out and I promise this is not a paid endorsement but <laughs> the ITM review for me was one of the most invaluable resources that I had and I was on literally daily so uh, you know I would um, I was a single mom I would come home after work and I would you know spend time with my daughter get her ready for bed get her fed all of that kind of stuff and then as soon as she was in bed and asleep I would get on to ITAM review I would start doing research and that was really me investing in myself and mm-hmm. so um, it, don't look, I've, I've had, so I, I, I also do mentoring as well. And, and so first of all, find a mentor as well. Also, yeah. if you can find a mentor. Um, and I've had people say, well, I'm not getting paid to do that. No, you're not getting paid to do it. You're investing in yourself. You are paying yourself by learning more and <clears throat> taking training outside of work and, and just finding that nugget of passion. Whether you are passionate about SAM or FinOps or open source or specifically Microsoft or Oracle or technology, the SAM tools, the discovery tools, the data, whatever you are passionate about, do the research and find that passion and then learn everything that you can about it and really invest in yourself um, uh, <coughs> Sorry, to become an expert in, in some way or, or, or another. Um, find a mentor that can that can help, or even multiple mentors to help guide you through the various phases of yeah. your career. Right, um, is is really important. It might not necessarily be just one. You could have mm. multiple mentors throughout your your entire career. Um, and then I think uh, the final piece of advice I would give is is that don't be afraid of change. Uh, change, especially in this industry is mm-hmm. happening sometimes at a breakneck pace. And so, you know, look, again, look at those things that are coming and see how you can take those passions that you have today and sort of bend or or meld them into a passion for something that might be coming in the future. So, for example, if you're really interested in data about, you know, the SAM or ITAM state, you love doing that those data analytics, that can be applied to FinOps just as easily, right? If you're really into the technology side of things, you know, figure out how you apply those, your knowledge and experience around, you know, Flexera or Snow or ServiceNow or USU to, uh, you know, your, those FinOps practices or mm-hmm. open source or whatever it might be that that's coming. So, um, yeah, but I think that the most important thing is invest in yourself. Take that time to really find your passion, uh, nurture it, and um, and life will present you with opportunities and you'll be ready to take them. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rebecca, for that. That was really, really insightful, interesting conversation. 
Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Well, I think we'll finish it here. Thank you. Great. Okay. Thanks so much, George.